This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so thrilled you're here. Happiness Solved is dedicated to giving you content that is empowering, motivational, inspirational, and of course, a dose of happiness. It's my way to give back to the world and share other people's stories. This thing called life can be challenging, and my guests share their amazing stories, wisdom, and life lessons that demonstrate anyone can choose happiness. You see, happiness is a journey, not a destination. I am Sandy Scarlatta, America's happiness coach, author of Happiness Solved. I'm also a retired U.S. national and international figure skating coach. I have a gold medal in ice dancing. I've been a certified life coach since 2004, and I've been inspiring others to shift their mindset and choose happiness for over 20 years. I am so excited to share that my next book is coming out soon. I am a co-author in the fastest growing personal development book series in the world with Jim Lutz and Jim Britt. The really cool thing is that the foreword was written by the one and only Les Brown, and for my copies, I'm on the cover with him. If you would like a free copy when it's available, email me at sandy at sandyscarlotta.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I am so grateful for you. Today's guest is Greg McDonough. Greg is the CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors and the chapter president of the Entrepreneurs Organization of Washington, D.C. He is the thought leader in financial management coaching using his 25 years of business experience along with his innate ability to understand financial information. Greg supports entrepreneurs who want to get away from relying on their gut feeling for decision-making. He is a seven-time Ironman finisher, an author and podcaster, and a proud family man. Greg and I go back a long way, so of course, I was so excited for this interview. Greg McDonough, it's so great to see you. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful, Sandy. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, thank you. I'm doing great. It's so great to see you. I was on your podcast, and now you're on mine. And just for the listeners, I've known Greg since he was right out of high school, and we worked together years and years and years ago, and it's just been so great to watch you through your career and really see you making such a great impact in the world, and I love that. It's wonderful. We're, we're trying, and we both got the memo for the blue shirts, so well done. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm like, what do I wear today? You know, when you work from home, it's like, yeah. I actually, I actually recently, because I'm just so much more comfortable in t-shirts, but I didn't have any t-shirts because I've been in corporate for so many years. And uh, yeah, so I just had to go out and buy a whole bunch. It's so much easier for men. So you just put on a polo shirt. You know, polo right? shirts and women just don't really, you know, it's not my, not my jam anyway. <laughs> I was like, what, what color today? Today is the light blue cover, color. Yesterday was green. Well, we both have blue eyes, so it's a good color for us. That's right. That's right. All right. So tell me about how you got to where you are today, because I know you've had a very strong career. You're now CEO of your own company, president of the Entrepreneurs Organization of Washington, D.C. How did you get to this point? Because the kid that I know was was not like this finance guy. (laughs) Yeah, Sandy, it's an awesome question. And it's funny like when you're in the moment, it doesn't make any sense. But when you look back, 
there's a straight line. And my straight line for this, what I'm doing now, started in my last elective and my first degree at George Mason. So I started at George Mason trying to be a civil engineer and seven to o'clock. Following your father's cal- footsteps. That's yes. right. <laughs> the seven o'clock calculus class and the fraternity life and not living at home and trying to make the soccer team and all those things just didn't line up for good academic performance. And so eventually I ended up in economics and that was the degree I was going to be able to graduate with. And who knows where that was going to take me. And the last class I took was a finance class and I absolutely fell in love with the subject. I aced the final. I think I got like a 98 out of a hundred and I was arguing with the teacher. Why, what two points did I miss? And it was something silly and literally like graduated, walked, ran right back to the registrar's office and re-enrolled at Mason to get a second degree in finance. And around that same time, I was working as an intern at Fannie Mae, which is a huge mortgage finance organization. And those stars just lined up for me. And so I got a second degree, second undergraduate degree in finance, then got a master's degree in finance. And then part of my, when the entrepreneurial bug happened, I was at Fannie Mae and they had a uh, corporate venture capital group that I was a part of, and we were investing in the first bubble, but mortgage related technology companies. And one of the companies needed a CFO type for a short period of time. And so I went to this company Dexma for about six weeks in a diner, Minnesota in the middle of winter and was their CFO. And so it was like the startup entrepreneurial vibe. They made me a job offer. I walked outside my hotel there's 12 feet of snow piled up and i said you know i don't think i'm ready for a dyna minnesota but this is something that i'd be interested in doing and really since then i've been either putting out my shingle or being cfo of types of businesses and then recently sold my last business about three years ago after buying it from a chapter 11 bankruptcy process and i've had this shingle out doing financial management consulting and coaching for a handful of small businesses and organizations around the dc area so how were you able to make an impact on those businesses from a mindset perspective? Because I know you and I had talked and for a business owner, a big part of their pain points are the finances, right? And I'm a small business owner myself. We all, we all have that struggle and it's hard to keep that momentum going. It's hard to keep your mindset in the right place when you're worried about the finances. So, so what, what do you bring to the table for these businesses? Yeah. So one, I bring a, a lot of experience. And so the fact that I owned and operated my prior business for so long has taught me the hard way of what it feels like to sign the front of the paycheck and not just the back of the paycheck, right? Being the person responsible for making sure there's money in the account when payroll gets run. And I've done all the silly things like financing payroll on your credit card or <laughs> you know just some of the no-nos that we all get into. And so I bring that experience to the clients that I work with. And from a mindset perspective, what I'm finding is in order to have a clearer mindset, especially around money, you need to feel organized. And what I mean by organized is for me, that your balance sheet makes sense, that your income statement makes sense, that they're telling the same story. There's not all this mystery in between. You know, I've got many clients that come to me and they say, Greg, you know, my income statement is, is performing well, 
but I don't have any money in the bank. And then I try to figure out why. And most likely, right, there's things that they're recording maybe on their balance sheet that should be on their income statement, or they're taking distributions and they kind of forget that they took a distribution. And so, or like they're not collecting their bills on time. And so from a mindset perspective, what I'm helping with is like, let's make sure that the house is in order so that when financial decisions come up, we don't have to worry that, well, maybe something else is around the corner that we're unaware of is one. And then two, I'm a huge advocate for building cash reserves within businesses so that one, you don't have to worry every week. And two, if an opportunity comes to hire somebody or to make an acquisition or to invest in technology, you've got the cushion. It's not spending the money and hoping, it's I've saved the money, I'm making the right decision, I think, And but you've got that cushion. And so again, back to your question around mindset, that alleviates a lot of the pressure and the unknowns and allows for a, a, a freer mindset, I guess, you know, a yes and type of, you know, yes, and we can do this and we can do that. But again, it, for me, it comes down to the fundamentals of having good data that gives you good information for good in understanding. And then also having a cash reserve within the business for either the rainy day or investment opportunities. So you help people create that peace of mind around their finances. Yeah, that's right. Which is that's huge. right. And also <laughs> it is, I hope, <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm very humble when it comes to this. <laughs> other examples are, you know, I had one last week, right? A client calls, she just lost an employee, a junior employee. She wants to replace that employee with a senior level employee. Doesn't really have the workload for it, but it's, it's a great employee and it'll make a perfect fit for her business. And my response immediately was, yes, hire. Like if you can hire good people, hire good people. But yes, hire them because I know we've got reserves in the bank. And so that buys us time to build the business around this new hire. If she didn't, like if we were living, you know, hand to mouth, it would have been a different conversation of like, you know what, I'm not sure we can afford the additional expense right now. But since we do have, did have, or still do, that reserve and good data again, it was a quick phone call to me. A yes, absolutely. Go for it. You know, kind of a high five. And then we moved on. Mm, yeah, and we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. But a good, good thing about it, and in most decisions, there's always a correction you can make. Right? If you make a bad hire, you can let that hire go. If you buy a house and you're too much mortgage, you can sell the house. Like there's always, you know, down the road you can correct for things. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm going down a different tangent. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> well, but that was a really, really great example because that's a real life thing that, that, that people can come across. And yes, if you can find good people, by all means. So can you just, because I, I know for me, I didn't really understand the big difference between accounting and finance. And it's a, there's a huge difference there. But I don't know that, you know, so so for new business owners or people who are looking to start a business and you want to have that peace of mind, why is it, what is it about the, the finance aspect that makes a difference in the bottom line of an organization as opposed to just keeping, having a bookkeeper and keeping the numbers? Awesome question. Um, 
and I suspect many different people would answer this in many different ways. For me, Definitely. accounting is scorekeeping after the game has been finished. Mm. And for and finance is, you know, using your financial information to make active and strategic business decisions for one. And then for two, I'd put in the finance category, like where does the fuel come from to run your business? Is it, are you borrowing money? Are you using your own working capital? Are you using your own profit? Is it coming out of your pocket? So the finance to me is sort of like how you make the company run from a finance, from a money perspective. And then accounting comes in when it's the month's over, you do your debits and credits, you run your reconciliations and you say, okay, did the score actually come out the way that I thought it was going to be? And again, so finance for me is really very much in the moment and forward looking and accounting is very much in the past and reporting. Right. No, what a great explanation. That was, that was really on point. Okay. So one of the big reasons why I wanted to talk to you today is because you are a seven time Ironman <laughs> finisher. And to even say that out loud just seems it's so far out of my realm of reality, <laughs> but I'm sure most people know what the Ironman is. If not, just, just go ahead and, and run through what an Ironman is real quick. Yeah, so it's a triathlon. Um, it's swim, bike, run. The swim is 2.4 miles. The bike is 112 miles. And then the run is a marathon. And it's all done in one day. There's one start time uh, in a group. And here in the U.S., you've got 15 hours to finish. Sorry, 17 hours to finish. In Europe, it's a 15-hour finishing time. And it's just an all-day affair. <laughs> especially for me it was one of the fewest one of the last to finish hey i mean just to even attempt a triathlon let alone an ironman so what i want to dive into is number one what the heck are you thinking (laughs) (laughs) but like the mindset because we all know you know i'm i work with athletes um as a as a mindset coach um and I've been recently affiliated with um, ION International Training Center, which is located in Leesburg, Virginia, as their athletic mindset coach. And it's a huge thing. It's 90% of all sports is mindset. I really believe everything is really 90 to 99% um, mindset. To, to do this, not once, but seven times, how do you prepare yourself mentally for that? Because that is such a huge undertaking yes it is um <laughs> and you're still thinking it, yeah i am a little crazy yeah, but you know <laughs> about to sign up for another one it's it's addictive so the mindset a- mindset aspect of it for me really boils down into the training plan and i am my, my wife and i do these together and she's done 10 i've done seven and she's the one that got me hooked into this so Shame on her. Um, but it comes down to the training, right? It, it's putting the race on the calendar nine to 12 months out and then working backwards on your training schedule. So, you know, every Monday, Wednesday, we're in the pool. Every Tuesday, Thursday, we've got an hour bike ride. And on the weekends, it's long rides and long runs. And we, and those, we grow the distance over like a three week period. Then we taper back and then we grow and taper back and go and taper back. And so what happens during those 
training sessions is you have the flat tire situation or you get exhausted and dehydrate and you can't ride your bike any further. I've had that several times, but going through those trainings, you kind of push through or break through or handle a lot of the limitations that are going to face you on race day. You're not going to face them all, but you're going to face enough of them. So when you're at the starting line on race day, you know that 95% of what you need that day has been experienced already. And so it's a slow, very much like business planning, right? It's a very slow incremental, you know, coached um, process and you kind of set your plan and you say, this is what, this is on the calendar today and that's what I'm going to do. And you do it. Um, for me on race day in particular, it breaks down into these, it's weird for me. It breaks down into these 15 minute increments. So like I get through the swim and I've got a swimming background. So that tends not to be my challenge, but on the bike and it's a seven hour bike ride, right? That's painful. Um, it's every 15 minutes I'm taking in water or food or salt or, and it's just, I've got a schedule and I, I print it and I put it on my bike and I know. And so I kind of start living this 15 minute increments on the bike and then on the run, it's really like a hundred paces. So I'll run a hundred paces. I'll walk a hundred paces. I'll, and it, you just get into this rhythm and next thing you know, you're at the finish line. <laughs> wow. Well, and I, I can relate to it because I have done one marathon and had thought about doing a second one. And for me, I'm, I'm not a very fast runner. And I finished the one marathon. I did the Marine Corps in four hours and 55 minutes. And then it was like, who the heck runs time. for five hours? What's that? So that beats all my time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. But yeah, but you're swimming and running or you're swimming and biking. Um, but yeah, but that's the crazy thing about an Ironman is that you, you're swimming to two plus miles, biking over 100 miles, and then you're running a marathon. And that's that's just, it's crazy. And I, I understand it just because I love doing those, those long runs. And mm. um, I know... The only way I got through the marathon was that I ran 16 miles. We stopped, me and my my running buddy, we stopped to use the restroom and stretched. And we're like, all right, it's 10 mile run. That's all we got, 10 miles. Right. And just did it. So yeah, I really, I really get that. Um what have have you ever been in a in a situation during one of these competitions where you just had to like you know, pick yourself up. And, and what did you say to yourself? What was that self-talk that would, that would enabled you to keep going? Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. And the one that comes to mind, there's been many, but on the race day, we were in Zurich, Switzerland, and it must've been, you know, like mile 90 on the bike and it was hot. It was like 90 degrees, humid. Oh People like as you're riding your bike, there's people on the side of the road just exhausted and done, right? They pushed too hard and they failed. And I'm up this climb and I'm feeling terrible, starting to feel lightheaded, probably dehydrated. And at the top of the hill, there was an aid station. And I convinced myself that, you know what, in my first race, which is at Lake Placid, I had three flat tires. And across those flat tires, there was time that I was off my bike, you know, probably for 20 minutes. And so I said, well, if I did Lake Placid and had 20 minutes off of my bike, just standing there doing my mechanic stuff, why shouldn't I take a break at this aid station and just get off my bike and rehydrate 
take in fuel, sit under a tree in some shade and just, just relax. And I did. And it saved my race. No question. Like I, I was on the point of, and I've been to that point and crossed it before and paid that consequence during a training. And I knew that, Hey, this isn't good. And so I'd rather risk not finishing than put my body through something it shouldn't have to go through. And so at that aid station, I got off the bike for 10, 15 minutes and had some nice conversations with the volunteers and got back on my bike. And um, it was also that race, and this was probably choked me up, but it was also that race and I was on the run. And again, we're in Europe, so it's a, a sooner finishing time. I was convinced that I wasn't gonna finish on time. It, it, within the within the right amount of time, but I was confused because my wife, who was also competing, was about 45 minutes behind me on the run, and she was still running because we passed each other on the run course. And I was telling myself, you know, if she's still running, like why haven't they pulled the people behind me off the course? Because they probably should pull me off the course because I'm not going to finish on time. And I remember going up to this volunteer and asking how much time I had left. And this sweet girl said, you've got two hours left. And I thought I had like 45 minutes. Oh my gosh. And I literally just started to cry. Like I could walk this in. I'm going to finish. It was awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, have you ever had to finish by walking? Oh yeah, absolutely. Everyone. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I run okay. across the, fi the finish line for sure, but I'd say nine, 70, 80% of my run is a walk. But okay. it, it's a brisk walk. It's a brisk um, walk, right? But it's it's a lot of walking for me, and and I train that way. So, and my, this is one of the things I coach pushes for. It's like I want you to do a nine minute run and a one minute walk, and that's your interval from the start, so that you get used to walking during your run and then running again after you've walked. And so when I get to these Ironman finishes, <clears throat> it's a tremendous amount of walking. Um, but I'm okay with that, right? I, I keep yeah. my pace on my watch. It's slow, but I, hey, I'm not going to win this thing. <laughs> I just want to finish right. healthy and, right? <laughs> and, and and have enough legs at the end to run the last quarter mile versus sort of like rolling over the finish line. Yeah, yeah. What is that feeling like every time that you've accomplished it? <laughs> yeah. Wow, you some emotion. Um, the first feeling I have is gratitude, right? It's... This, this gratitude for the ability to put in the training, to have the family support, to have, um, you know, my family there. Like, usually my parents are there, my brothers are there, my family, my kids, my wife, or she's, yeah, she's usually competing as well. And so like, it's just just tremendous amount of, like, how lucky am I to be able to do this and to finish? Um, and that lasts for about, you know, 10 minutes, and then I'm looking to sign up for another one. <laughs> Okay, so I just had to Google something because I'm curious. Because a, a friend of mine who's run a few marathons was, and I was on, he was on my podcast. And he's like, Sandy, you're like in the 1% of people in the world that have actually finished a marathon. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Do you know what the answer is for how many, what the, the, um, I don't. Okay. The first Ironman was held in 1978 with 15 competitors. Today, around 50,000 people finish any of the 25 full Ironman events per year. So it's basically about one in 10,000. I mean, that's like, it's like 0.01%. I mean, that's like, that's like an elite level, right? 
Sure. Like, it's really elite. Really elite. I'm so impressed. That's crazy. I was going to skip my run today, but now you're motivating me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a hot day, so it's good training, right? That's right. (laughs) To run in the heat. Yeah, I can't run in the heat. So... When I was when I was running and I knew that I would you know I I'd done like a half marathon or whatever and I was like you know why don't I try to do a triathlon and at that time we had a pool in our backyard this was in 2001 2002 and I was not a swimmer now I knew how to swim I was certified to be a lifeguard but I it's very different than being a swimmer as you know because you were a swimmer I couldn't do it I could not it, swimming is the hardest thing for me. And I think, I mean, because I, I feel like for people that do triathlons and especially go to the Ironman point, I mean, you really got to have that swimming background because mm-hmm. it is so hard. I was like, I can run, I can bike riding. Yeah. But the swimming, oh, that just threw me completely. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's a handful of reasons why that it's true. And especially when you get into open water, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to be able to swim in a pool and get the laps in and get the distance in. Right. But when you get into a triathlon, it tends to be everybody in the water at once and it's bodies hitting bodies, getting kicked in the face. You can't see it's murky water because you're in some lake or an ocean or something, you know, um, sometimes you can't even see the destination you're going towards. You're just hoping that the buoys line you up. It's, it's a, a lot of different things. And that freaks people out for sure. And so, um, you know, obviously you need to train for that and practice for it. And again, to your point, I'm lucky enough that I've grew up swimming. And so I'm very comfortable. In fact, before I got into Ironman racing, when my, my wife was competing in them, we were swimming together in the same master's program. And I did a bunch of long distance swims here locally, like the Chesapeake Bay and the Potomac River. And I mean, that's a seven and a half mile swim. And so like, I'm very comfortable. I'm very fortunate. I'm I'm comfortable in the water, um, because a bad swim will it can shatter your day. Like it's you think about it all bike, <laughs> you think about it all run, and it's such a small component of the overall day, but it's such a big mindset hurdle. Um, but yeah. that's what makes it an Ironman. Yeah, yeah. So, last question. When it comes to running your business and being an entrepreneur and helping others, how does your Ironman training and that mindset help you and transfer to giving better advice or coaching to your clients? So there's two answers to that question. One is for me personally, when I'm training for a race, I find that my time management is much better than when I'm not training for a race. So right now we're not training for a race. We're supposed to be in Spain next month. And there's a whole reason, list of reasons why we're not, but we're not training for a race at the moment. And I find I let work creep in. I let family creep in. Like all of a sudden I feel very out of sorts and out of balance because, you know, when you need to get in a four hour bike ride on a Friday and a two hour run on the Saturday, you kind of prioritize all the things that are important and all the things that aren't important go to the wayside right now. When I'm not training, I just deal with the urgent and I'm not dealing with what's important and shame on me for that, which is another reason why I need to sign up for a race today. Um, (laughs) But secondary to that and and dealing with my clients and just people in general and entrepreneurs in general, right? 
I feel like the train, the Ironman training teaches you that the pain you're feeling today or the struggle you might be in today, or even the opportunity you might be in today, isn't going to last forever. And at some point in time, you're going to be able to recover and the hard things are going to be hard, but they're only temporary, right? It's like, you know, doing that climb in Zurich up that hill at 90 degrees and humidity. And I'm feeling like I'm going to just pass out on my bike. That's behind me now. But I've never felt that type of stress or pain in my business, right? And so it's it kind of puts things in proportion for me. And then I'm able to communicate that to, hey, you know what? We're going to get through this, right? Let's just keep going and be positive and have the right mindset. Mm, what an incredible answer. That is so on point because it's just so true. And I love that. And and. I've actually, um, I'm getting back into playing tennis. I've had to take a few years off because of an injury. And, and now for me, it's about managing and, and not doing too much physically to, you know, and, and then take care of my body so that I don't get injured. But I love that because it does keep you on track with your business for sure. Mm -hmm. When you've got that, it's just the scheduling and, and, and the, that just plays so into your mindset all around. I love it. What else would you like to share with the audience that we haven't talked about today? And how can people reach you? Yeah, so great. So I'm on LinkedIn. That tends to be my platform of choice. Um, I'm also available on email. So it's gmcdonough at blackburncap.com. And I'm assuming you'll have that in your yes. show notes or something. Yep. Um, so I won't spell it out. You know, um, I get, you know, final thoughts or words, you know, as it comes to financial management, we talked about this at the beginning, like my, the pillars of my financial management strategy are right, having good data and using that data to make your business decisions. I would, I don't like seeing people making financial or business decisions just from gut feel. Like granted, you have to at times, I get it, I've been there, but use your finances as a tool and make sure that they're in order and they match and they, and they're actually, you know, available and useful to you. Um, and then second, from a business perspective, and you know, we talked about this already, but you know, the cash reserve will give you such freedom in your business, both from a risk perspective, like how much you're worrying, but also from a diligence, like back to the training conversation, building a reserve, really makes you think about what's important and what you're spending money on in your business. So it, it kind of puts you through an exercise of saying, do I really need to be spending money on all these things? And if some go in the right column, like it's the nice to have, let's put that on pause for six months and see what happens. And so it provides a, you know, a methodology or, a, I don't know, I'm losing the word, but you know, those, those, pillars are for me are crucial in, in creating the right financial mindset for your business. Again, having good, clean data and then building a cash reserve and then everything else from that tends to solve itself. For sure. Cause you, you it's something that you have to pay attention to and you have to That's be, right. yeah. And if you're paying attention to it, you're going to have that peace of mind and you're going to not, not be so worried about the next thing coming in or whatnot. But yeah, I love it. Greg, this has been such a, such a joy for me to not only see and you again, me. but just to have this conversation. So thank you so much. Awesome.
how awesome was that? My hope for you is that you learned one golden nugget that you can apply to your life and your mindset right now. So thank you so much for listening today. As always, I hope that you and your family are healthy and safe and that your lives are filled with lasting peace, joy, and happiness. Take care, everyone.